At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed. Have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters 5 through 7 to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. You know, sometimes when you're reading through the Bible, churches, it's easy to understand, right? Super, not always easy to live out. So like when Jesus says we should have the faith of a mustard seed, well, that's easy. Have faith. That's easy to understand. Sometimes you go through trials and just have faith. It isn't always so easy, is it? Sometimes it's, it's a little bit of a challenge or Jesus says you should forgive people. It's easy until they hurt you, right? And that's not easy to forgive anymore. And we know we're supposed to live generous lives. And so there's things that we know in Scripture that are real easy to understand. Sometimes they're harder to live out. Then there are passages that you read it. And you look up and look around thinking to yourself, did anyone see me read that? Because I don't know what I just read. I'm going to have to read that again. I want to make sure no one saw me. You know, and you read it again. You're like, I still don't know what I read. Right? You know, those passages. What I love about today is it's both. It's both of those. It's easy to understand. It's difficult to understand all in one package. Take your Bibles, open up to Romans 7. Romans 7, we're going to be in verses 7 through 25 today. But first, let me tell you about this debate that circles around the passages that we're going to read. Theologians debate a lot because Paul is going to use this pronoun I, the pronoun I. And so here's the debate. Is Paul talking about himself as a follower of Jesus, I. Is that what Paul said? Or is Paul talking about before he was a Christian, I. Or is Paul, you know, like sometimes when I'm talking, I'll like say we, you know, we do this and we do that. And like, you know, we're all sitting at the dinner table together. You know, it's kind of like that. Well, is Paul saying I, but he's really talking about Adam? Or is Paul saying I, but he's really talking about Israel? Or is Paul saying I, meaning like all followers of Jesus, including us? Like, who is he talking about? So there's this debate that's raging. And then in the text today, it's also important because Paul is going to make a defense for the goodness of the law. And maybe you're sitting there thinking like, I don't, why is he making a defense for the law? Because up to this point in Romans, it's almost seemed like he's on the attack against the law. It almost seems like he's on the attack. Like in chapter 3, he says one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We know in chapter 4, he says that the law brings wrath. We know in chapters 3 and 4, he keeps teaching that's not keeping the law, but it's having faith in Jesus that defines us as new people of God. So here's the question then. The question is, if the law brings wrath, if the law brings knowledge of the sin, if, if the law doesn't bring salvation, do we need the law? Why were we given the law in the first place? That's what we're going to wrestle with. And then we're going to get to a section near the end where all of a sudden Paul's going to be talking. And I have a feeling, because for centuries this has been true. Men and women, just like us, have read these passages and we've gone, I get what you're saying, Paul. I, I know exactly the struggle you're talking about. And I have a feeling that today, so many of us, that's exactly how we're going to respond. So Paul's going to answer two questions today. Is the law sin? Is it sinful? And is the law death? That's what we're going to Is it sinful? And is it death? Let's start chapter 7, verse 7. Paul says this. He says, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? No, by no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, 
produce in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So Paul here, he's describing a person that's seeking out their salvation through the law. And when I say the law, let me be very clear on what I'm talking about. I'm talking about following a creed, following dogma, following... Well, it's like we create this checklist. Maybe you made your own checklist. And if I do these things, whatever these things are, and I don't do these things, then I'm a good boy or I'm a good girl and I can earn my way to heaven. Maybe if God said I did enough good things, then I earn my way to heaven. That would be the law. That's different than faith in Jesus. That's the opposite of faith in Jesus. Now, many times when Paul writes, when you read through the New Testament, he's writing to a specific people at a specific place, a specific time, doing specific issues, right? That often happens. So he'll write to a church and say, I know there's a struggle you're having. You know, you're having this, this struggle with generosity. Let's talk about that. You're struggling with the gifts. Let's talk about that, right? And so he'll write to specific topics. This one, this one seems so broad, right? Because this is one of those topics that those in the church who had come from a Jewish background, which would have been most of them, those who came from a Jewish background, they would have went, well, Paul, clearly Romans 7, I'm understanding what you're saying. But there were also God-fearing Gentiles. These would have been people who were not Jewish, but they would have studied Jewish traditions. They would have studied, just like, did you know baptism? A Gentile could become a Jew back in the day, but one of the last steps, so they've been going to the synagogue, they've been learning all the Old Testament scriptures, one of the last steps, they would get in the water and they would take a ceremonial bath and they would wash off their Gentileness, they would go under the water, they would come up and they would be clothed in their Jewishness. So it makes sense that the New Testament church taught that this is part of what it means to follow Jesus. This would have been a custom that, that would have swept through and permeated the culture. They would have really understood this. And so you had these God-fearing Gentiles as part of the church who are now followers of Jesus. And they would have said, yeah, Paul, I get it. Maybe it wasn't the law that guided me in life. Maybe it was this list of rules. And if I do this, then I'm accepted in society. I'm a good citizen. I'm a moral citizen, and in that, I'm going to get to go to heaven because I'm a good moral person. And now we understand that that was sin, and we are free from sin, right? We don't have to sin because Jesus has covered us. And then they would say, but sometimes, Paul, it's still a struggle, right? Even though we've been free from sin, sometimes sin still creeps into our life. Just now we're really aware of it. We're aware of it because of the law. We know what's going on. Which kind of makes me think of the most heartbreaking thing to me as a pastor. The most heartbreaking thing to me as a pastor is to see people who say they're followers of Jesus and there's no power of the Spirit in their lives. They say they're followers of Jesus and yet everything about your life looks just like everyone else in culture. Like you don't look or sound or respond any different. There's no joy in your life. There's no freedom in your life. To me, that, that is the absolute worst. So anyway... Paul's going to answer this question in verse 7. He wants to answer the question, does the law equate to sin, right? Is it sinful? Is the law sinful? 
What then shall we say that the law is sin? He says, by no means. So he answers it. He answers it like with an exclamation point. No, it's not sin. It's not sin at all. So there's an illustration that I read in a commentary this week. And I'm going to give you the Billy Eyes version, if that's okay. I think it's more flowery. It sounds better, the Billy Eyes version. So here's the illustration. It'll help all this passage make sense. Let's say that you live in an area where you're like, sometimes people do wacky things out there. So I'm going to get me an alarm system on my house. You tracking? I need me an alarm system. Right? The world's gone bonkers. I'm getting me an alarm system. And so you call up the alarm system company and they say, I can come out on Tuesday, Tuesday morning, 8 a.m. And you're like, yes, get me an alarm system. And you wake up in the morning and you're sick as a dog Monday morning. I mean, you're sick. You're, this isn't in the commentary. Just go with me, right? You're really not feeling good. And your stomach is probably one of those flu bugs, you know? And so you're in the bathroom as much as you're in the bedroom. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just like you're tired with a little fever. No, you are sick. And you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do because I still want this alarm company to come in, right? And so you, you got an idea and you call your neighbor up. You're like, hey, neighbor. I need some help. And you explain the situation. Your neighbor's like, well, I can show up at eight for you. I can be there. I can walk them through the house. We'll put the pamphlets on the, on the counter. Like, you're good. I'll take care of it for you. And you're like, yes, you know, and, and you're sick, you know, so then you run in the bathroom, whatever. And so 8 a.m. Tuesday morning, your neighbor shows up. The alarm company comes. The alarm company sets everything up and they're showing your neighbor, here's how it all works. Now, here's how to do this, and here's how to do that, and here's how to disable this, and here's how to disable that. And your neighbor goes, here's how to disable it, huh? They start looking around your house, and they're not just looking at your house anymore. They're casing the joint, right? They're looking at it, and they're thinking to themselves, I can rob all this stuff now. I know how to disable that alarm. All right, some of you got the illustration, some didn't. So let me explain the illustration. The alarm system on its own is not bad. The law is not bad. The law is good. The alarm system is good, right? On their own, they're good. It's when you put something gross and disgusting into the mix that it messes everything up. It's when you take sin and you add sin to the law that all of a sudden becomes so twisted. It's when you take that alarm system and you add a shady neighbor to it that the alarm system, not only is it not going to do what it was intended to do, but it's actually going to work against you. That's what Paul's saying here. The law is good, and yet, because now we're aware of it, sin uses that for bad in our lives. That's why in verse 5 we read this. Go back to verse 5. I know we didn't read it yet, but back in verse 5 it says, While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were working our members to bear fruit for death. These would have been fighting words for the Jewish population in the church. Because you just said that you're going to have these sinful passions and desires because of the law. But the law, the law, that's, that's the ways of God. The law, this is, if I do these things, I'm going to have a right standing with God. The law, if I do these things, this is what will get me into heaven. And you're saying the law is what's causing me to have sinful desires? They would have been mad about that statement. Like they wouldn't have liked that at all. That's why Paul then, he keeps going to explain what he means. Verse 7, what then shall we say? That the law is sin by no means. Yet, listen to this, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would have not, had, uh, for I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. 
But sin seized an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. So Paul says, the 10th commandment, the 10th commandment, yeah, I wouldn't have even known about coveting had the law not said not to covet. Like this wasn't something I struggled with. Then you said, don't covet. And now I'm looking at my, my neighbor. I'm looking at my, my, the wife or the husband of my neighbor. I'm looking at the house of my neighbor. I'm looking at the car of my neighbor. I'm looking at the job of my neighbor. I'm looking at everything my neighbor has. And I want that now. I don't know that I would have wanted it, but you told me don't want it. So now I do want it. You know what I mean? Okay, y'all are not participating. So let's do this. Whatever you do, don't think about a red fire truck. Just don't do that. Don't, don't think about the red fire truck with the ladder that goes up so the firefighters can run up there and jump in the building. Don't, don't think about that ladder on the red fire truck. And don't think about the shiny chrome. How do they get it so shiny? Like, I don't understand. Like, it's beautiful. Anyway, don't think about a red fire truck. So script, see what I'm saying? <laughs> Hundreds of people think about red fire trucks now. Red fire trucks all over this room. You didn't come in. Think about red fire trucks at all, but now you can't help yourself. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying before the law, I didn't even think about a lot of these things, but now I'm so aware of the sinfulness that's in me. You see, we're all kind of mildly aware of our wrongdoing, even before you're a Christian. You're mildly aware of the wrongdoings. Did you hear Josh's testimony? He said, I, I wasn't proud of the things I was doing. I wasn't proud of that list. In fact, what did he say? He said, it really bothered me, didn't it? It really bothered me. It really ate at me. It really stirred in here. We're all at least mildly aware of our wrongdoings, but that's different than coming face to face with the sin in our lives. He says, I was once alive apart from the law. Verse 9, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin sees an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. For the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The problem is not the law. The problem is not the ways of God. The problem is sin. That's the problem. That's why he ends in that place saying, so the law is holy, the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So he answers this question, is the law sinful? The answer is an emphatic no. So he moves to his next question, is the law death? Look at verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So this is that area I'm talking about like you read it. And you're like, I don't, I don't actually know what just happened. You know, so you go read it again. And when you read it again, what you're going to see Paul saying is Paul saying that it's not the law that leads to death. The law simply points out sin for what it is in our lives. That's what the law does. The law exposes sin for what it is. Now, maybe before Christ, think back to before Christ. Maybe before Christ, you, um, you're a good moral person. At least how you thought of yourself, right? Because you would give some money to the United Way at work. You know, when they say, hey, if you give $2, you can wear your jeans on Friday. And so you're like, I did that. You know, so I did good things. And I would be nice to people. And I would call mama on mama's day. You know, I'd do that. I'm a good moral person. And so if I asked you, even before Christ, do you think you'll go to heaven? You're like, well, yeah, because I'm, I'm a good moral person. I do good moral things. 
And then you would, on the weekends, you go have some fun because you need to blow off some steam. You've been working all week long, you know, and so you're like, I need to have some fun. So you go do karaoke. Y'all know karaoke, right? You go and the little thing on the screen, you sing some Garth Brooks, right? And so you're, you're at the karaoke, which there's nothing sinful about karaoke and you're having fun and you're, you're dancing a little bit and you have four drinks too many and you're having a great time. What I mean by four drinks too many is not like you had one drink or one more drink. It's like that point where you're like, I, I should stop now. You have four more. That's what I mean. And it's to the point, you heard the testimony. It's to the point that the next day you wake up and what do you say that next day? God, I feel like junk. I don't want to do that again. Why do I do that? That's so dumb. I got to stop that. I got to get a hold of myself. I'm, I'm, I'm finished. I'm, I'm going to pull my bootstraps up. I'm not doing that anymore. Isn't that what we do? I'm not, if you could do it on your own, we would all be living out our New Year's resolutions every year. But we don't do it on our own, do we? We blow it every time. And so you're like, I'm, I'm done. And you get up and you go to work on Monday. And you go to work on Tuesday. And by Wednesday, you're going, man, I'm going to need to blow off some steam this weekend. Y'all want to do some karaoke? You want to do that? I'll, I, I'll do my Garth Brooks again. You know, I'm ready. And so you get so fired up for it and you go do it again. And then you become a Christian. And there's this thing in your life that already you're kind of like, ah, I know this isn't great. It doesn't feel good. It's not something I want to do. And then you read in scripture where it says that you shouldn't drink to drunkenness. That's what it says. It says you shouldn't drink to drunkenness. And all of a sudden you look at that and you go, oh, but I, I, I like doing that a little bit. You know, it's fun. I, I enjoy that. But yet I know what the Bible says. And so now you're confronted with the sin in your life. Now, church, for most in this room, that's probably an easier one. But can you see how this gets very, very difficult very fast? Because not all things are as simple as don't have four too many. Not, not everything is like that. Some things are going to be that thing for all of us. And what I mean is there might be someone in this room that this isn't a laughing thing for you. For you, it's a very personal thing. It's a very hurtful thing. And it's something you battle against every single day. And the reality is for all of us, we have something like that. For every single one of us, there is this, this sin battle that's taking place. And that's where we read in verse 14. Because if you ever, have you ever seen that, man, it, it's so, it shouldn't be difficult, but things in life are difficult. This should be easy. Like your work, it's when you look at your work. And when you look at your work, you like all the people you work with. They're all really nice people, but you have this toxic culture at work. And you kind of cross your arms, you go, how, how can that be? Like, these are all good people. How is it so toxic? Right? Or, or maybe you see this husband and wife, and they're so fun to be around, and they're so good. And, and then all of a sudden, one day, they just stop talking. And the marriage ends in this pile of wreckage. And, and you're just sitting back, scratching your head, going, but, but I love them both. I like them both. What happened? Here's what happened. Look at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. But I'm of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want. I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I don't want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, 
but the sin that dwells in me. And this, this is the passage, I think, that every single one of us, we hear that and we're like, I get it, Paul. I understand where you're coming from. What he's saying is, on one hand, you have God's ways. You have the law, the ways of God. And you look at the ways of God and you go, the ways of God are good. I love that. That's what I want to pursue. I want to pursue the holiness of the Lord. Man, that fires me up. That's worth giving my life to. And over here you have sin. Sin leads to death and destruction. Sin is not just like you have good things you do and bad things. Bad things equal sin things. No, sin, as we discussed a few weeks ago, is a power that seeks to overtake you. That entered this world with Adam and Eve and that every single man, woman, team, and child has, has dealt with since then. We have all dealt with sin, this power that wants to overtake us and lead us to this place away from the Lord. Towards this place where we say we are fully independent from God. We don't need God. Sin. And so we look and we say, but we have the ways of God over here. That's what I want with my life. That's what I want. But man, I like this sin. I keep being fixated with this sin. I love to spend all my energy on this sin. And then I see the ways of God. I want to do this. But man, I keep doing this. Why am I doing this? I hate this. I don't want to do this. I want to do this. And the whole time you got this battle raging inside. Brothers and sisters in Christ, anyone ever felt like that? Maybe you're feeling like that today. This is where he says in verse 21, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see my members, another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Civil war is a horrible thing. In the 1800s, when the North fought the South, Civil War was horrible. Captain America, Iron Man, horrible, right? Because you, you like that? Because <laughs> you have these two forces that should be in union with one another. You have these two forces that should be together. And instead, they're battling against one another. And what Paul just said, just in case you missed it, he said, this is where your mind your mouth, your heart, your hands, your feet, they're not in unison with one another. There is a civil war that is raging within us. He says the last half of verse 25, So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There's no other place for him to go besides verse 24 where he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me? In other words, I'm going to try harder. Who's going to deliver me? I'll deliver me. That's what we do sometimes, isn't it? I'll just wake up and I'm going to act like I didn't do what I did yesterday. And I'm not going to talk about it. And I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to try harder to be better. Or what we say is, well, I'll go to church and that'll fix it. I'll go to my life group. I'll, I'll do that. I'll just, I'll, I'll replace that. I did bad over here. But if I do enough good things over here, I'll check some boxes and I'll be really, really good. That's what I'll do. Who's going to rescue me? I'll rescue me. My family will rescue me. Someone's going to rescue me. And yet what we see is verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, pulling up your bootstraps doesn't do it. All those other solutions that we try to come up with, they will never do it. It is only through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so maybe, maybe I got some brothers and sisters in here, and the reality is I was talking about this thing, and you right now, you're going, I get it. That's me. I don't want to do this. I want to do this. 
And yet I keep doing that. And I understand the civil war. And I've been trying to figure out how to fix it. You know, after the service, we're going to have people who will pray over you. You've got your life group who will continue to encourage you towards Christ's likeness. But the one who's going to fix it will be the power of the Lord working through you. It is going to be through Christ. That's where the victory is going to come. That's the only place the victory is going to come. And maybe there's some of you in here that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus to begin with. You heard Josh's testimony. You heard Katie's testimony. You hear this, this talking about this turning, but you've never done that. You keep trying to win life and get to heaven by this list that you made up. And it's probably a list you made up. Like there's probably no one else in the world that has your list, but you've got this magical list thinking if I can just be good enough at following, and you can't even follow your own rules, can you? Let alone God's. That's never going to get you to heaven. It's only going to be through Christ. It's only through Christ. So on Monday, on Monday, uh, my grandma passed away. And I was five years old when my dad remarried to the person I call mom. And that's when I met grandma and grandpa. I'd never been to church before. Some of you, like from the time you can remember, like you never know life. You've never known life without church. I, I remember, and grandma was Catholic, so I would go to the Catholic church. And uh, I remember getting in trouble because I didn't know how to pray right. Like I was real bad at it and they would let me know I was real bad at it. And I'm left-handed, so I do the sign of the cross with the left. Oh, that's real bad too. Like you don't do that. Like don't do the sign of the cross with the left hand. They are not amused at all. And uh, but grandma, man, grandma is the most, she is the most patient, kind, gracious woman. So patient. She taught me actually a lot about the Lord, because I knew none of the stories, like none. And so some of you, like you're kind of like me, and you remember like when you would hear the stories for the first time, like my very favorite, my very favorite story in all of scripture. I'm gonna give you the short version, but there's a dad with two sons. Dad with two sons, the one son says, dad, I don't don't really wanna be here anymore. I don't wanna work on the farm. I don't wanna work the property. I want to go off and do my own thing. Like, so if you'll give me my inheritance now, that'd be great. And so the son, right here, right? The son says, I want to chase this with everything I have. I want to, and he did. He went out until one day he woke up with pigs. Now you probably know enough about Jewish history and customs to know there's no more disgusting place that a young Jewish man could find himself than with pigs. And he got up. He thought to himself, even my father's servants have it better than this. Why am I doing this thing that I hate? So he got up. He said, I'm going to return to my father. This thought of maybe he'll just let me stay on the property. And so he gets up in church. He turns from the pigs. He turns from that place of grossness that he was lying in. He just got up and turned from it. And he started toward the father. He started towards home. Now on the way, let me remind you, he didn't clean himself. He still stunk. His clothes were still rags. He was still out of money. He had nothing. And he started toward home. And this is one of my favorite passages in all scripture. The Bible says while he was still a long way off. 
while he was still a long way off, which means the father's been waiting for him to take a step. I'm not going to force this on you. But all you got to do is take a step. While he was still a long way off, Scripture says the father ran to his son. He ran to him. He threw his arms around him. He put a ring on his hand. He put shoes on his feet. Billy Eye's version. He said, we're going to have a barbecue, y'all. We're going to have a cookout now because my son was lost and now he was found. My son was lost and now he is found. He didn't figure everything out. He didn't know what he was going to do. He wasn't cleaned up yet, and yet a party was had. Some of you, you're that son. You have spent your whole life pushing away from God, trying to make this about you. This is not about you. As we're looking at this, they asked Jesus the greatest of the commands. You know what he said? Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbors yourself. Everything about the ways of God will point to one of those two commands. What does sin do? Here's what I think. Here's what I want. Here's what I deserve. Here's what I'm, oh, this is about me. Taking a step towards the Father says, it's not about me. I'm turning from that. And some of you today, you need to recognize that God loves you. That right now, you're in a filthy place you don't want to be. And you need to turn from that. And here's the beauty. Turning from that means I'm going to get up and I'm moving away from that and I'm moving towards God. I'm surrendering to Jesus as the Lord and the Savior of my life. He is the one who came and did what I couldn't do. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He checked all the boxes. He fulfilled all of the law. He fulfilled it all so that I could have a right standing with God. So today, if you've been running, if you spent your whole life running, my encouragement to you is let today be a day of surrender. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the beauty of this moment where we can stop and come together as family and as friends, where we can worship together, we can pray together, we can praise together, we can celebrate baptisms together. Lord, where we can open your holy word and be transformed by the renewing of our minds together. But I pray for my brothers or sisters in this room that maybe there has been a struggle of I keep doing the things I don't want to do and the things I do want to do. I'm not doing those. Lord, I pray for freedom today. Jesus didn't come so that we would be pounded with guilt and with shame. Jesus didn't come so that we would be trapped by sin. Lord, we know that you came so that we'd be free from sin free from guilt, free from shame, but we need your power. Lord, we need the power of your Holy Spirit. And so I pray for a turning from sin today, for repentance. And it's hard. It seems like the more we study your word, the more aware we are of the sinful places of our heart. Don't let us be afraid of getting in our quiet place and dealing with those. Lord, continue to help us encourage one another towards Christ's likeness. Let us be fast to encourage one another, fast to love, fast to serve with each other, fast to forgive, fast to give. Lord, let us cling to your ways. And for any of those who may be in the room who have never surrendered, Lord, let this moment be a safe moment where they can throw their hands up and say, God, I believe. I believe that you love me. I know I've sinned. 
I know I'm not perfect. I know my life hasn't been marked as holy. But I believe, I believe that's why Jesus came. That he lived a perfect and a sinless life. That he was crucified to pay for the sins of the whole world. That on the third day he conquered sin and death and rose again. And today, right here, right now, I'm surrendering to the lordship of Jesus in my life. God, thank you for saving me. And thank you for rescuing me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. Real fast, before we stand and close our morning worshiping together, I want to remind you that following the service, we're going to have a prayer team right down here. And maybe you're in that spot of saying, I I just need someone to encourage me. I I need someone to pray with me. I don't want to give them all the details of everything going on in life. I'm just going to say, hey, that stuff Billy was talking about with the whole hand thing, that's me. I just need some prayer. They would love to pray with you. Maybe today you did surrender your life to Jesus. And you're like, I don't know what's next. I'm just really excited right now. There's going to be people here. They would love to pray with you. But let's continue to walk this out together. Let's stand as we close our morning worshiping. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.